Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Philippians by looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 16. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The beginning of this section contains the words of what appears to be an ancient Christian hymn that described Jesus and who he was and what he meant to the world. The main point that this song proclaims is that Jesus is Lord, and we see in it that the early Christians understood that we will either confess him as Lord now or we'll confess him as Lord later. Paul even writes to that effect in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, when he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. As we look to live a Christian life, it is very important for us to understand who Jesus is. And that may sound very basic, and we may feel that it needs to go unsaid. But Jesus being Lord of our life is at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. He is in absolute control of how we live our lives. And Paul has said that because of the way Jesus lived his life, he is our example of humility. We discussed humility and what it is in the previous episode, but in order for us to live out humility, we have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and make sure that we put the needs of others ahead of our own, that we are willing to see how much God loves other people so that we look to meet their needs and draw them closer to God. But not only does Paul let us know that Jesus is our example of humility, he's also our motivation. 
after he concludes using the words of this song, he moves into a description of what our lives should look like because we've been motivated by the knowledge of Jesus being Lord. First of all, he says we should be motivated to work out our own salvation. That's a phrase that I think troubles some of us because we keep reading in Scripture, even things that Paul wrote about being saved because of Jesus's work, not because of ours. It's not because of any work we do that we earn salvation. So what does he mean here? Is he contradicting himself or not? Well, I don't think that Paul is saying you have to figure out how to work hard enough to earn your salvation. He seems to be saying something more along the lines of working out the meaning and significance of being saved. What does it really mean to you that you are saved for Jesus to be Lord of your life and to have rescued you? What does that really mean? Because that's going to have an effect on your life. Which may also lead to a conclusion that he's talking about working out the actions and directions of my life. Because Jesus is Lord, I need to work out what that means in my everyday life. What actions will I take? What path will I be on so that I follow in the footsteps of Jesus? I don't think Paul's getting at how do we earn something, but how do we react because we've been given something? That's the thing that we need to work out. Paul also lets us know that Jesus is our motivation to join God in his work. He says here that God works for his purposes and his desires. Everything God is doing is to bring about the things that God wants for mankind. And we see from Paul's writings here and in other places that God works through our obedience It's not that God saves us and then puts us on the sideline and then waves a magic wand to accomplish his work. He saves us, rescues us, cleanses us so that we will be effective instruments of his to complete his will and his work. He works through our obedience to him. And so we must be willing to remove any barriers to that obedience, any attitudes we have or any issues that we have in completely submitting our will to God's need to be taken out. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God rescued us so that we could be a part of his work. He works in us and through us in the obedience, our submission to him. And knowing that, we have to be willing to get rid of any of the things in our lives that keep us from being wholly submissive, wholly obedient to his will. Jesus is not only our example of that, but he's our motivation to do it because he is Lord. Jesus should also be our motivation to stop arguing and complaining. This point might not be that obvious if you spend much time on social media. There are a lot of people who claim faith and Christianity and a walk with Jesus, but they spend a lot of time arguing with other people and complaining about things that they don't like or don't want. Even when the issues are things that 
are important to God, they're still being handled in ways that create arguments or come off as complaining, and those have no part in the kingdom of God. There's a different way to go about life in this world as we prepare for a life in eternity with God. One of the problems we have is we tend to point to sins and fixate on the things that separate people from God. We keep pointing out why certain people or groups of people have no part in the kingdom of God. But what we've been called to is to draw people to God, not explain to them why they can't get to God, but to clear the path so that they can And we typically do this by showing kindness and love, by taking care of people's needs and helping them be unburdened by the cares of this world so that they can fix their eyes on Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't call sin, sin. I'm saying that we don't so fixate on the sin that we make people feel bad and unworthy because of that sin, rather than drawing them into the peace and comfort and salvation of Jesus by removing the obstacles that are in their way. Anticipating life with Jesus and that joy should compel us, motivate us, to stop arguing and complaining about things we don't like or people we don't agree with, but looking for ways to connect with the image of God in all of his creation and bring that nearer to him. There have been studies done that let us know that people who regularly help others tend to be significantly happier people and are less likely to become depressed when they get older. We're able to do this when we learn to love people the way that God has called us to. We're told in Scripture that love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Neither writer is talking about the fact that if you love people enough, you can get away with doing bad things. What they're saying is that when we learn to love, It covers up our desire to do harmful things to other people or to ourselves, things that are destructive, because we're preoccupied with doing the good. When I'm constantly concerned about what's in your best interest and how to provide that, it takes away any temptation to do something that might harm you or hurt you. So the teaching from Jesus and from Paul and other New Testament writers is not about being nice. It's about being good about being the kind of person who genuinely cares about other people, then the nice behaviors will follow. Many of us have convinced ourselves that if we're not hateful or mean to people, then we're being nice, and that's what God's called us to. But we need to see from this passage and others that holiness and righteousness are not the same as being nice. Holiness and righteousness have to do with who we are as people. Yes, nice things will be done by those who are holy and righteous, but I can fake niceness. I can do nice things for people and still be unholy and unrighteous. God has called us to do the right thing because we want to be pure for God's purposes. This includes the way we see other people and how we treat them. And it's impossible to love people the way God wants us to if we're constantly arguing with people or complaining about them. The love that Jesus showed to mankind should be our motivation to eliminate arguing and complaining from our lives.
Paul says, that way, when things go wrong, it won't be our fault. We were doing the caring, kind, and loving thing. It's not our fault they didn't respond or the circumstance didn't work out. We didn't have any guilt in that regard. We won't be guilty of staining what Jesus has already cleaned up. And in that way, we will shine like stars in the earth. Or another translation says, so that we will shine like stars in the universe. But all of this happens as we hold on to the word of truth. Many of us look to get the attention, the affirmation, the accolades that we feel like we deserve. We want people to see us in the best possible light. But Paul says, if you want to shine like a star, you do that while holding on to the word of truth. Hanging on to the word of truth is not something that we have to force ourselves to do and have to hang on white-knuckled, hoping we don't lose our grasp before Jesus can come back and rescue us. Holding on to the word of truth is something that's easy to do. When we fall in love with God the same way Jesus did, when we care about the same things God cares about in the same way Jesus did, when we're motivated by his life and his example to follow in his steps. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.